0: All right, so let me uh, get us started here and save us a little time down the road. Start looking up a few passages we're going to be in tonight. Luke 11, that's where we've been. My goal in this is when you open your Bible, it just fall open to Luke 11 on Wednesday nights. Uh, Luke 11, and we're also going to be in Exodus chapter 16. So as you're turning and finding those two passages... Let's deal with this question as we start tonight. What is the purpose of prayer? Now, Before you answer, or at least before you answer out loud, let me encourage you to chew on that question for a little bit. What is the purpose of prayer? There are those, by the way, I get this information from... um, a book that uh, somebody gave to me, and I've been reading it, a book on prayer. I like it. I like the way it started off because it kind of pushes this question, and uh, so let's take it and let's deal with it. What is the purpose of prayer? There would be some throughout church history who have said that the purpose of prayer is to promote communion with God. So let me give you an example of that. The year was 2006, and I was in my second year of my studies at Truett Seminary, and uh, it was one of those Sundays where I preached in the morning service at our church. We had one service in the morning there, and as soon as church was over, my family and I went to eat, and then I loaded up all of my stuff and uh, jumped in my car and headed to Waco for one of those two-week stretches where professors try to kill students. <laughs> and we were going through some things as a family that uh, were not, uh, they're not, they weren't bad, but they made it difficult for me to leave home. And so knowing that I was leaving my wife behind for two weeks and my kids behind for two weeks, my Oldest son was in college at that time, and my middle son, or middle child, our second son, was uh, I think he might have been in his final year of high school, or close to it, if not that. And our daughter was in high school, and so there were a lot of things going on. And uh, I, I was just by that time, I was tired of the grind of being in school, and I knew that God had told me to go. And I knew that he told me to finish, not just to go, but to finish. And so I was working through that, and I was so tired of it that somewhere outside of um, Cuero and that general area, if you know Central Texas, uh, I, I just pulled off on the side of the road and I just had one of those prayer times with God. You ever had those prayer times with God where you just have to tell him how it is? You know, as if he doesn't really know how it is, but we feel necessary uh, to let him in on a few things that we sure he must be missing. And uh, that's kind of what it was. And it was important enough to me. I pulled off on the side of the road, and my prayer was God, please release me from this. Let me turn around and go home. You just need to know I'm not a quitter by nature, I'm pretty competitive. And uh, the whole thing at that point for me had been, okay, I'm going to get in there, I'm going to get this done, I'm going to get done as quickly as I can, I'm going to do good work with it, all that kind of stuff. But boy, I was just at that point where I just needed out, or at least that's what I thought. And somewhere out, I, I could, if we drove past that spot, I could say that's where it was. But I can't explain to you where it was. But somewhere on one of those back roads in central Texas uh, God just kind of, it's almost as if he just stepped into the car with me. And first of all, he did not let me off the hook. (laughs) Uh, He reminded me of what he had told me before. But he stepped into the need for me at that point that it was a tangible kind of awareness of God's presence with me and God's love for me and God's supply for what he had called me to do and all those things. And I don't know how long I sat on the side of the road there, but I do know that by the time I put the car in gear to keep going, all of that was settled. And, uh, and God and I just had a great day. You know those experiences? All of us, I'm hoping all of us have those where God just, in our prayer life, just steps in in such a way that it is so tangible that relationship that we have with him, that you can, you can just know that he's with you. If you don't have that kind of experience with God in prayer, let me just leave it at this point to tell you, you can. Because I believe that that's at least part of what prayer is about. But the question that we're working with tonight is, what is the purpose of, Of prayer. And so you might take from what I just said that I, like many others through church history, say the purpose of prayer is about communion. But there are other people, and I would venture to guess, not us, because we're not this way, I know, but others and other churches might well be uh, of the opinion that prayer is really designed to release God to act or to restrict Him from acting Now you're looking at me like you think I'm nuts. And you might be right. I just might be. But also might be right about this. We go back and consider the prayer requests that we have heard through our lifetime. You don't have to look very far to hear that sometimes our prayer requests are designed to get God to do something or to get God to stop something from happening. For instance, today, I prayed God would just sell my house in Lumberton. That's a prayer to release God to do something that's not being done. Yes? Okay. But sometimes our prayer is to restrict or to at least, it's not that we're telling him to do that, it's the request that we lay lay out there. God, please don't let that hurricane hit Puerto Rico again, right? Is it wrong for us to pray that way? It's not wrong for us to pray that way. Either one of those, it's not wrong. Matter of fact, we can go to any number of scriptures, several in the New Testament that say, ask what you will right? so But the question that I'm really driving at here is, what is the purpose of prayer? Because one of the things that I think happens with us sometimes is is we kind of kick into automatic when it comes to our prayer life. And because we've been doing it for so long, some of us have decades worth of practice at prayer. You've heard the... um, I need to be really careful how I say this because I don't want you to get the wrong idea, but you've heard the old saying, practice makes perfect, right? You know that's a bad statement, right? The reality is, I had a coach that taught me this. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect because I play enough golf that I can tell you I learned some things and practice them regularly that make my golf game horrendous at certain points. Right? Because I practiced it wrong and it became part of the way I did it. So I have to think about those things. So just because we've been praying for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that we've tapped into the purpose of prayer. So uh, here's what I've been saying to you for a number of weeks now. I think this is the fifth week that we've looked at praying with Jesus, and the model prayer. And one of the things that uh, I hope is beginning to get ingrained for you is that I believe that the purpose of prayer is to position us with God. It involves communion with God, and it involves our abilities that, that He makes available to us to be able to step into God's presence and say, Hey, I I just need to talk to you about this because I would love for you to do this or I would love for you to keep that from happening. But all of those things tie us in at the point of our relationship with God. And so part of what prayer needs to be about for us is this positioning tool that helps us to get it right. It's a way, and we've seen this now in three different messages already here, or Bible studies, that uh, prayer is that positioning tool that reminds us of who God is, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So it reminds us of who God is, but that by definition reminds us of who God isn't. And if he's God, and he is, then I can't be God too, right? So prayer is a positioning tool. And it reminds us that he is God. And so as we come into prayer, if we don't come into prayer with the understanding, not just the understanding but the acknowledgement and the, the embrace of the truth that this is God that I'm dealing with here and I need to let him be God and not try to make him step off of the throne so that I can be God. And so even though I come with those requests that I have, those things that are important to me, uh, I can still do that knowing that he's God and I step in that way. All right, so that's the background. By the way, that's the review also. So if you missed the last four weeks, now you're up to date with all of us. Now, let's take a detour tonight. And we're going to be in in Luke 11 because we're praying with Jesus and this is where he begins to teach his disciples something about prayer. But before we get to this one tonight, I want to start in Exodus chapter 16. This is going to be a familiar story for most of us, probably all of us, but bear with me a little bit because, as I said in a not-too-distant past Bible study, the problem with the obvious is sometimes it's just so obvious that we miss it. Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, actually last part of verse 12, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be uh, filled with bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, verse 13. Exodus 16, verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Would you like to learn a Hebrew word? What is it is the Hebrew word manah. So we just pull that over into English, manna, all right? That's what that is, or that's what my Hebrew teacher told me a long time ago. Verse 15, for they did not know what it was. They said, what is it? And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded, gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of, the, of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. And morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. And on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning." So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. So let me stop reading there, pick up verse 35. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years, till they came to a habitable land they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan all right so let's pause for a moment and let's deal with another question why manna <laughs> i will i'm coming there but why why do you think the manna thing yes sir <laughs> That might be spot on, actually. (laughs) Have have you ever stopped to think why God did this? Why did he do it this way? Okay. That's right. So they had a different diet, in case you couldn't hear. They had a different diet in Egypt. And so there may well be some of that positioning stuff that I'm talking about here uh, just with the way they're eating. That may well be part of that. So um, so let, let's build off of this answer, that there is this dependence that God is beginning to work into the mix here. By the, by the way, there's, there's some other pieces of the answer to the question, why manna? Go back to chapter 16. I'm going to read the first four verses. And they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel applauded God's work through Moses and Aaron. Is that what yours says? If your Bible says what I just read, you need to throw that Bible away, All right. And all the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, it would, okay, let me paraphrase this, this verse, okay? This is Roe Trammell's paraphrase of the day. They said, it's your fault, Moses. We were better off as slaves than we are out here. Hello, what? Better off as slaves? Really? <laughs> so let me, have <laughs> been in the sun too long. That's great. And the people of Israel, verse 3, the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Why manna? Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. We could drop down to verses 7 through 12 and we just get another emphasis on the same thing. Here's part of the answer for why manna. Because it became a sign of commitment, of God's commitment to his people. Let's not miss this because this becomes some of the foundation for us as we move into prayer, Right? So even though they're grumbling and they're not being the choice children that God really would probably prefer they be. By the way, we find ourselves in the pages of Exodus quite often. And this becomes, God says, I'm going to do this. And yes, there is a test that's attached to that. I'll come to that in just a moment. But the process of all that, God is reiterating his promise to them. He promised them. He promised those who came before them by centuries before them that there was a land that would be theirs, a promised land, and he would get them to that land. And if he let them starve in the wilderness, he would have let his promise go away. And he's not about to do that. So they're grumbling because they're hungry. So do we. Sometimes our prayers, if we analyze our prayers, sometimes our prayers are because we have hunger portions of our life that go unmet. And so we kind of grumble about that. The good news is that God allows us that freedom. The bad news is that he meets us where we are, but he's never content to leave us where we are. And he's going to take us somewhere. And so with that in mind, we pick up this. Let, let me just throw this little twist on the whole manna thing. This is one of those places where God has the ability to get their attention on a daily basis. They're hungry every day. It's like that. I, you know, personally, I'm on this feeding schedule that like several times a day I eat. You know why? Why? It's not just because it's there. It's because I get hungry. Now, what I eat and those kind of things and how often and all those things, we can talk about that all day long, but the reality is we are made with physical bodies that require fuel, and we get hungry. And so God has designed us at a point and so now he steps into that need with these people in the wilderness and he says, watch me work. I'm going to do something. I could, Sure, I could send a herd of antelope through there or I could send, you know, whatever. I could do all these things. He sends quail. What, that's not a, bad, not a bad meal that he's providing for them every day. But he doesn't give them that meal six months in advance and say, okay. Somebody needs to, uh, to invent a freezer out here. He didn't do that. One of the reasons, I believe, that he gives manna to them is because there's coming a day that they're going to need to be able to trust him for things like taking on a fortified city that nobody could overthrow. And they're going to take on an assignment where God says, I don't care that the Jordan River is in flood stage walk into the water, and go into the promised land. They needed to know that they could trust God to be true to his promises. That's why manna, I think. Of course they're hungry. Of course they need food. But God chooses and he sets the circumstances in such a way that he begins this 40-year process of teaching them that he's good for what he promises. By the way, that's a great realization for us to take into prayer in those times when it seems like you've gotten a raw deal and things are not going the way you want them to go and your loved one is hurting or your finances you have a lot more month left than you have money it's good to know that god is good for his promises now with that in mind and in the three minutes that i have left Let's jump over to Luke eleven four, Because in Luke eleven four, we have the next part of this prayer that Jesus is teaching. And so I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and I'll stop in verse 3. I think I said verse 4, but we're actually verse 3. Verse 1 of chapter 11, Luke's gospel. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Notice that the pronouns of those three statements are directed to God. The turn that we make with tonight's little uh, section here is the pronoun changes. Those are all about God. Our Father, or actually Father is the way he says it here, let your name be holy, Your kingdom come, and now the pronoun turns to us. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And so now this turns to the us prayer, to the our prayer focus. So why prayer? And why this prayer? Our translations may vary a little bit in the way verse 3 reads there because, once again, Jesus uses a word. We talked about this Sunday night in, a different, in one of the Beatitudes, but here again, Jesus uses a word. He makes up his own word. I love that about Jesus. Paul does that occasionally in the New Testament also. But Jesus uses a word here that is not used as far as any scholars even to our day has not been able to find any evidence of this word that he's used here looking backwards. And even since then when it's used in the Greek language, it's used by people talking about how Jesus used it. So Jesus reaches into this uh, dictionary that is... Strictly divine, and he throws a term out here that is just pregnant with meaning for us. Give us each day the bread of the day, literally translated. Why doesn't he allow us to pray, fill my cupboard? All right, so you're tired. It's, we're about done. Don't want to answer. All right. Let me, let me give you a couple of real quick examples of some things in our life, right? So what's that? I, I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Okay. So let's use your grocery shopping as an example here. When Teresa and I were in college in Plainview, Texas, actually out at halfway, which is out in the middle of nowhere, halfway between somewhere and nowhere, Um, we were making $30 a week. (laughs) So when we went to the grocery store, we had a three-month-old son when we moved up there. And so when we went to the grocery store, I want you to know there's some praying going on before we stepped into the store itself. Because we had had no money. And so we ate, just like a lot of you, in the early days of your marriage, you know, we ate a lot of uh, beans and, Spaghetti with no meat, uh, you know, we just, we just did what we had to to get by. But I'll promise you, when we went into the grocery store, we stopped and we prayed and we said, Lord, we have this much money, help us to get the best grocery deal we can get for that amount of money. I want to translate from there into my life three months ago. The last time my son and his wife came to our house, he's the chef, right? Right? And so they're at our house, and we know that we're about to leave. We're not going to move all of our furniture until our house sells. And uh, so we have all this food in our cupboard. And uh, so I say to, or Teresa says to our son and his wife, uh, y'all take whatever food you want out of the cupboard. And they took out bags worth. And in my head, I flash back to those times when as a young father and a young husband, I would open our cabinets and see no food and know that we were three days from payday. There's something about having more than you need that messes with your neediness with God. I'm not suggesting that you go give away all your food. I I I think the, the, the beauty of what Jesus does with this is he gives one statement. He makes up a word that helps us here. Each day, give us each day the bread for that day, the physical sustenance that we need. But with that one simple statement, he hits all of us. So if you're here and you have plenty, this part of prayer is the reminder that says, God, I remember that the only reason I have plenty is because you've given me plenty. But if you're here and you don't have plenty, this is the reminder that says God is good for his word and good for his promise. And he says, come to me if you're weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He says, I, I'm not going to lose any of you. He, he, he says, call on me and I will answer you. We find all through scripture, we find all of these promises that center now, whether they're Old Testament promises like the one I just mentioned or another one, they center on the person of Jesus, God in the flesh, and it is a reminder to us that God says, I got you. That's bad English, but it's great theology. So this prayer is the one as we come to the Lord on a consistent basis that positions us under his promise And acknowledging, not just acknowledging, but embracing the need. I'm sunk without him. I can go into a grocery store and I can take a basket and I can go there, and as long as I have money, they'll let me walk out with all that stuff that I have. But you know what? You can have a house full of food and be starving. Because you don't let Jesus be who he is for you. So this is the prayer that positions us. I am not God. I am needy. That's the title for tonight's deal, needy. I hate being the needy person. I really do. I don't like people, I don't like asking people for help. Okay, that's hard when you get lost in this building somewhere. (laughs) I hadn't gotten lost in a couple of weeks now. How needy are you? really. This prayer will help you with that, I think. I hope it will anyway. So let's pray. We'll let you go. Father, thank you for great truth that is just laying before us as we open your word. Your spirit takes that word and he just quickens it and he breathes life into it and into us and it teaches us something more about what it means to be your followers. Help us to follow well Help us to be aware and to embrace our neediness as we allow you to prove your commitment is always the faithful promise from a faithful God who refuses to let us fall. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here.